many of you know, and some of you, I'll catch you up to speed. I was gone this past week. I was in Louisville all week long. I got word, I guess it was Saturday, last Saturday, that uh, my high school baseball coach was was nearing the final hours. And so uh, I'd mentioned I'd been kind of keeping the folks, especially on Wednesday night, kind of keeping you up to date. He was diagnosed about two and a half years ago with stage four lung cancer. They gave him six months, and he lasted two and a half years. And and so anyway, we, we drove up, or I drove up there on Sunday evening and, and got to be with him. And then Monday evening, I was there uh, when he died. And, and uh, in a room, there was one of those ICU rooms. We had about 20 or 25 people packed into this little room. And it was it was both a, a, one of the greatest and worst experiences, as you can well imagine. And certainly those that have been through that, you know what that's what that's like. He, he was one of the three most influential men in my life. I was 14 years old when I walked into his baseball program, and four years later, I left really a man. He taught me how to grow up. And he, along with my dad and my youth minister, are the three most important men in my life, the most influential guys. And so, anyway, I had the opportunity to be there and, and, and to, to, I got to preach his funeral on Friday and, and just a tremendous experience all around. There were over 200 former players in attendance at his, at his funeral. He was not just sort of a fly-by-night coach, if that makes sense. He was a guy that really did it right. Um, but I, I, if you'd asked me at age 14, I would have never anticipated that that's what I would be doing this past week. But for the past 27 years, he was, and he continues to be, uh, one of the most influential guys in my life. And I almost didn't play there. Uh, Pleasure Park High School, I've mentioned it before, is, is the, the top baseball program in the state of Kentucky. And I didn't know if I was good enough to play there. And I, th- I thought, I don't know. And and then my parents were getting some grief from people at our church because Coach Miller was not a saint. And so uh, he, uh, he, he used some colorful language and uh, would say and do some things that folks would sound like, I don't know. And my, my parents faced a lot of grief from folks at our church. And I came from a church that was, was very active and alive, but also had some legalistic tendencies, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, not only do you need to, to live separate from the world in your heart, but you need to be totally separate from the world and everything that you're doing. And so, man, my parents faced some grief and they sent me anyway. And, and then God used this incredibly flawed man, Bill Miller, to mold and shape my wife, my life, my wife, my life in ways that I'm not even sure I understand yet. Um, he was flawed, really very flawed, but God used him tremendously. And I think what I've learned and was reinforced this week is that God uses us in spite of us. You ever notice how he does that? God uses us in spite of us. He takes all that we are, the good and the bad, and he uses us anyway. Even the so-called good and best of us are flawed. God always uses flawed people because, honestly, that's all he has to work with. (laughs) We are all flawed. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start there, and then we're going to go over to the book of Judges this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It's way over in the New Testament. If you get to the map, start turning back to the left a little bit. And you go Revelation, Jude, Third John, Second John, First John, Second Peter, First Peter. What do we get through James and then Hebrews? I believe is how you would go in reverse there. Um, so Hebrews chapter eleven. It lists a whole bunch in this chapter. By the way, this chapter highlights some of the people that God wanted us to see as examples of great faith in Him. Some people call this chapter the the Hall of Faith. 
And then whether God intended us to call it that or not, that's sort of what he's given us, is all these people that that uh, the writer says, by faith this person did this, by faith this person believed for this, and so on and so forth. And and then there, there's one guy that, that I think makes an unlikely appearance toward the end of the chapter. If you look beginning in verse 32, I just want to read from verse 32 to 38 in the, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. The writer has listed all these people. I mean, folks like Abraham and Moses and, and really, you know, folks, you'd say, oh, yeah, I, I see where God could use them. And then look at verse 32. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson, Jephthah of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. You, you see here the picture. The writer gets to the end and he says, I don't even have time to go into all these people. All these other folks. He's listed all kinds of heroes of the faith. And then he says, I don't have time to, to go to all these people. And one of the guys that he mentions in that list is a guy named Samson. Now I find Samson to be an unlikely character to appear in the hall of faith, if you will. Not the kind of guy that you would see or immediately look at and say, yeah, he really trusted God in his life. Do you know the story of Samson? What's the one thing you think of when you think or hear the word Samson? Even if you've not, you've not been in church your whole life. Sunday school stories talked about what? His hair... And his strength. His hair and his strength. You know those two things about him. Do you also know that not only was he known for his hair and his physical strength, but he was known for his weakness of character. Infamous for his weakness of character. And yet there he is. Listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's by no mistake that God put him in there. God didn't sort of say, oh man, oh, I, I put Samson in there. I, man, I, you know, well it's, well, it's already in there now. I mean, you know, it's printed here. You know, I can't do anything about it. God didn't by accident include Samson in the Bible as someone who was a person of faith, someone that God used tremendously because God always uses flawed people. He was a deeply flawed man, Samson was. His story begins over in the book of Judges, chapter 13. You want to flip over there? We're going way back in the Old Testament now. Joshua, then Judges. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you want to look along with us today, of course, you're welcome to go to your smartphone or your tablet and don't, you know, you know, you can live tweet or whatever, I guess, you know, it's really, I mean, it's that big a deal this morning. Um, but you, you also, there's a Bible for, for most of you this morning, there's a Bible right in front of you in the pew. If you don't have one and if you need one, please just take it with you. Um, but get to the book of judges if you can, and we're going to be in chapter 13. Judges, actually, let's look, let, let's start at the end of his story. Let's start at the end of his story. Judges chapter 16, okay? 
Look at verse 26. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, Lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there, and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. They had gouged out his eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And the dead he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. And he killed a lot of people. Samson, the very end of his life. You might think here that this is the culmination of a life that was spent following God no matter what. That, that God raised him up and, and this incredible figure at the very end of his life one last time to serve the Lord. That's not really his story. God certainly used him to defeat the enemies of Israel. But if I had to preach at Samson's funeral, what you see on the screen and in your bulletin would be my main message that God uses flawed people. His early life, if you look over now in chapter 13, his early life begins with a vow that God required he and his parents to take that Samson really had no particular control over. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. That's the story of the book of Judges, by the way, that there was no king and people simply did what they wanted to do. So this is a pattern repeated itself. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "Is it? It is true that you are barren and have no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be careful not to drink wine or other alcoholic beverages or to eat anything unclean, for you indeed will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines." Samson was to be what was called a Nazarite. And that was not like Jesus, we got a wasp again, don't we? We did this a couple years ago, didn't we? Y'all remember, some of you were here, some of you are new. These things get in somehow. So if it lands on you and you need to smack it, please go right ahead, all right? Or if it stings you and you run up and jump, we'll just assume you're full of the Holy Spirit, right? There you go. Anyway, so Samson was going to be a Nazarite. He he was, it's not like Jesus of Nazareth. This was a particular brand of Jewishness, if you will. A Nazarite was someone who swore that they would not cut their hair, that they would not drink any alcohol, and they would not touch any dead body, human or otherwise. And they were showing that they had a special calling from God to do something different from what other folks had been called to, a special position of leadership in God's economy. And so this is what Samson was to be. And he was given a mission to accomplish. You look at the end of verse 5. He will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Now Samson's response to this involuntary Nazarite vow seems to indicate that he didn't care much for it. He wasn't really on board with what God wanted to do in his life. Now he liked the attention that came with it, the strength that came with it. 
Sort of like a person who enjoys the benefits of appearing to be a good Christian person. Do you know in Murray, Kentucky, there is an advantage to appearing to be a good Christian person? Do you know that? And there is a disadvantage to appearing to be appearing to, be, to not be a good Christian person. There's a little bit. So, so Samson kind of liked the benefits of that. If you understand what I mean. But his commitment wasn't solid, and his foundation was shaky. He was flawed, and don't miss this: the Bible doesn't try to hide it. Just as a side note, do you know that God doesn't try to hide the flaws of His people? You read this. Listen, if y'all been if you've been going along so far in a Bible reading plan, you've come across some characters, and you think, "What? They they did what? How many people did they kill?" How many folks did they get around with, if you know what I mean? Holy moly. But the Bible doesn't hide the flaws of its characters. Because it's not about how perfect we can be or try to appear to be. It's about admitting that we're not perfect and that we are in need of a perfect God. That's why God doesn't hide the flaws of his people. Because he wants them exposed so that we will understand that we on our own are always flawed and always sinful. And so that we'll see his perfection much more clearly. Samson had lots of flaws. Look in chapter 14. I'm just going to list them. If you want to kind of make a list out to the side on your bulletin, there's not much on your bulletin today, so there's some room maybe to make a few notes and go back and study later on. Samson had a whole laundry list full of flaws. I'm just going to list some, and we're going to kind of go through it. One of those was rebellion against his parents. Judges chapter 14, look at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and mother, I've seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me because I want her. Samson was still under the authority of his parents, and yet he rebelled against them. He knew the Ten Commandments. And yet he didn't care what his parents had to say. Young people, whether you like it or not, whether you feel good about it or not, it is still true that God has placed you under the authority of your parents. And to disobey your parents is to disobey God himself. You don't have to like it. I didn't particularly like it. Most of the folks in here were not born grown up, believe it or not. Some of you probably were. Some of you are born grown up. I get it. But we all went through that, right? Samson rebelled against his parents, and it is shown as a flaw. His parents say, hey, hold on a second. This is the better way to go. This is what God has said. And he says, no, 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 no. I don't want any part of what you're saying. Go take care of this for me. He also had lots of lust in his life. So there's rebellion, there's lust. I want her, he says. Another version says, she looks good to me. He was going to go after this particular woman surely because of how she appeared to him. His lust would be out of control, as we'll see. There's also in these few verses here lots of compromise, another one of his flaws. Judges 14.2, I have seen a young Philistine woman. It was forbidden that he marry outside the Israelite nation, but he didn't care. Uh, if you are if you are an unmarried person, uh, young, old, somewhere in between, if you're an unmarried person, let me tell you what I what I always told um, my youth groups. 
Uh, what my parents told me, what my youth minister told me, uh, and they didn't tell me because they were making it up. They told me based on the authority of God's word. The number one characteristic you should be looking at for someone to date or to marry is not what they look like, how much money they have, what they do for a living or anything like that. It is, are they in a committed and growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Period. That's where you start. If we start anywhere else, we are starting down a path that will inevitably lead us to an emotional attachment to someone that God says we must not have. Do you realize that we are to, as, as if it's under our control... We are to seek out people for lifelong relationships, whether they be friends or in a marriage, that are walking with Jesus. Those are to be the folks that we are closest to. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with those who are unbelievers. I believe that has application in the folks that you choose to marry. Now, let me say this. If you're already married and your spouse is an unbeliever, the Bible tells us to live in such a way that God might win them over by your witness. Do not give up on them. But if you are unmarried, seek out someone whose first characteristic is that they are in an ongoing, committed, growing relationship with Christ. So anyway, we have rebellion, lust, compromise, and that's just in the first three verses of his story. (laughs) There's also disregard for God's call on his life. Uh, In verses 8 and 9... Uh, it says, after some time he returned to get her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. He just killed this lion on the way to go get his wife. It's, you know, he's, that's how he was getting ready. He's getting ready for the wedding. I'm going to go kill some lions. That's, you know, that's what I did. Um, anyway, that's how he got himself in shape. He's going to look good in his tux and kill some lions. Anyway, after some time when he returned to get her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass and there was a swarm of bees in the carcass. He scooped up some honey into his hands and he ate it as he went along. When he returned to his father and mother, he gave them some, but he did not tell them that he had scooped honey from the lion's carcass. Do you know why he didn't tell them? Because he wasn't supposed to. Part of his vow was to never touch a dead body, as I said, human or otherwise. You may not understand all that, but just understand that there were some things that he was not to do. And yet he did them anyway. God's call in his life was to be at this standard, and Samson lived about right here all the time. He didn't care. God's called me to a position of leadership. He said, I don't care. Listen, I, I have learned that if you're going to serve the Lord, there may be some things that he asks you to do that he doesn't ask others to do. There may be some things he asks you to not do that he doesn't ask others not to do. That's just the way that it is. If you're going to serve the Lord, that's simply the way that it is. So he's got disregard for God's call in his life. There's also greed. Look at verse 10. I mean, we're still in just, just in chapter 14. This dude's messed up. He's messed up bad. He, his father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. And then he says, let me tell you a riddle. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast, that's the wedding feast, and figure it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't explain it to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. For, for his wedding celebration, he's gambling. He's trying to make some money off some guys and take advantage of them. He's a greedy man. He, he, you, know, you would say, well, you know, why not just be focused on the celebration of your wedding? Well, I got a little side deal going over here. I think I can take advantage of these folks. He was a greedy man. They just can't help themselves, can they? You ever known somebody like that? He's also a man full of anger. Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord took control of him. 
And he went down and killed 30 of their men. He stripped them and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, he returned to his father's house. Samson was a man of great anger, another one of his flaws. He was also a man of revenge. Look at chapter 15. Later on, during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a gift and visited his wife. I want, to go with, uh, I want to go to my wife in her room, he said, but her father would not let him enter. I was sure that you hated her. Samson had, had acted as if he didn't really want this woman in the long run. So the father of the bride says, I was sure that you hated her, so I gave her to one of the, the men who accompanied you. Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she is? How, how about that for a great compliment from dad? Thanks a lot, Dad. Why not take her instead? Samson said, this time I won't be responsible when I harm the Philistines. So he went out and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each of their tails. Then he ignited the torches and released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the piles of grain and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Over and over and over, Samson takes revenge. This chapter goes on to tell us, that, that eventually, look down in verse, look down in verse 15. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. This is great. Reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. It's like a movie. It's like Rocky. Samson was a man of great revenge. Somebody had offended him. Somebody did something to him he didn't like, and he's going to get them. You ever felt those tendencies? You ever felt those urges? Ever done something in response? So he's a man of revenge. He's also a man of cruelty. I just read the story about the foxes. That's not a funny story, by the way. That's a, a man being cruel. Cruel. But we would call it in today's world cruelty to animals. Now, I don't believe animals have a soul. I don't believe animals uh, can experience salvation. But I believe animals are a gift from God. Some of them. <laughs> Except for the cats that live in my house. <laughs> Some of them. You know, as long as they're outside catching mice. But, but Samson is cruel. Cruelty to animals. Another one of his flaws, of course, as we know, is sexual immorality. Chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. Sexual immorality. The Bible is very, very clear. Sexual contact of any kind outside of marriage is sin. It's not a right. It's not something, well, it's just, let's get with the times. It's wrong. It's sin, always. So rebellion, lust, compromise, disregard for God's calling, greed, anger, revenge, cruelty, sexual immorality. And this guy is listed among the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Really? What? Why? Because God is merciful. Because God is merciful. God uses flawed people because He is merciful. Flip back to chapter 14, verse 4. Samson, at the very beginning, we've looked at his compromise and his lust and his rebellion. Verse 4, now his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. What that says to us is that God was still in control regardless of Samson's sinful and selfish decisions. 
God was going to even use the sinful stuff about Samson to accomplish his purposes, and he did. Why does God use flawed people? Because he is merciful. God wants to, it appears, so that those flawed people can see him overcome their sins and flaws, so that other people might see God in those flawed people. God is merciful. He gives what is not deserved. That's the definition of mercy. What Samson deserved, what we all deserve, is to be cast aside completely. Because of our sinful nature and the expression of that known as sin itself, we deserve from God to be cast aside, to be completely wiped out. But God is merciful. And He extends grace and forgiveness when we certainly do not deserve it and could never repay it. Many times in the story of Samson, God's Spirit comes upon him, enabling him to do something on behalf of God, giving him strength that God wanted him to have for the task ahead. As I think about this in my life and in maybe for your life, I want to be reminded every day, and I want to remind you and me this morning, that God can and will overcome all of your flaws and all of your sins and all of your mistakes in whatever mission it is that He has for you currently. I look around this morning, there's lots of parents in this room. Not everybody has been given that privilege, but I look around and see many who have. You ever felt as if, you ever felt as if you need to be perfect? So that your kids won't make the same mistakes that you made, right? Do as I say, not as I did. I was talking with an old teammate. And it was interesting. He said, you know, he said, I try to be real good around my kids. And I thought for a minute. And he went on and he said, you know, I try not to say certain words around my kids and do certain things around my kids because I want them to have a good example. And I told him, I said, hey, you know, I said, your kids need great examples. I said, but, I said, what they need is someone who will admit when they've done something wrong. What they need is someone who will say, I'm also a sinner, so let me just point you to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all sinners, you, me, and all of us. I wish I could say I'm great at that, but I know I'm not. As a parent, your kids don't need you to be perfect. They really don't. Because if you were to ask them, they know you're not. They already know. Your friends don't need you to be perfect. Your classmates don't need you to be perfect. Your teammates don't need you to be perfect. The kids that you teach don't need you to be perfect. Those people that you're around that you're trying to witness to, they don't need you to be perfect. Your neighbors, whomever it may be. What we need in each of our roles is not our own strength, our own charisma, our own skill, our own perfection, but we need the Spirit of God to anoint us to do what we cannot do on our own. We need God to be seen for God's mercy to overcome all of our flaws and our sins and our mistakes. God is merciful, so He uses flawed people. But let me tell you this as well. Something to remember. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. This might sound like, oh man, we're ending on a down note. We're not, I promise. Don't close up yet. Okay? We're not done. 
Today's message isn't about a guy who got whatever he wanted and was still blessed by God, who just did whatever he wanted to do and it didn't matter because God doesn't care about sin. God never condoned what Samson did in sin, never condoned it. In fact, Samson paid dearly for his sin. Because sin is blinding. What Samson experienced was that he eventually didn't see what the woman Delilah was trying to do to him. He was deceived and blinded. And then literally, later on, he was blinded. And it'll be the same in our lives. Sin will blind you to the consequences of your decisions and your actions. Sin will blind you to the Word of God. It will keep you from understanding it. Sin is blinding. It's also very numbing, if you think about it, in our lives. Samson never batted an eye at taking revenge and going overboard. He was numb, just doing whatever he wanted to. That's where his cruelty came from. This is where he couldn't control himself, but he didn't really care. He said at one point, no one will hold me responsible. People are going to say, yeah, you should have done that. He's numb to what he was doing. So sin can blind you. It can kind of numb you to things. It can also enslave you. That's what sin does. Another consequence of sin. It will enslave you. Samson couldn't stop. It controlled him. And later on, he was literally enslaved by the Philistines as a symbol of what was true in his heart. Sin will take hold of us, by the way, if we're not careful to avoid it, to repent of it, to ask God to cleanse us from it. It will take hold in our hearts. Sin is also very limiting. Samson didn't become what he should have become. He would have been the guy that they said, oh, what great potential. But man, he wasted his life. God could have used him in so many ways, but he's held back by the sin in his life. He's ultimately a tragic figure, I think. Someone who didn't get to experience all that God had for him until the very end. When he's seen really in a good light as he calls upon the one true God as he surrenders to him, as he repents of his sin and asks God to give him strength for one last opportunity. Truth is, sin has a way of keeping us from experiencing all that God wants for us. It's limiting in so many ways. Because God is merciful, God uses flawed people, but there certainly are consequences to sin. Now this morning, you might think as you hear this, that you are too far gone for God to do anything with your life. You might think that your sin is too great, too bad, too much for God to forgive you. You might think you have wasted so much time, too much time, that you've ignored God for too long, that you've given into too much temptation and too much sin and too many bad decisions for God to want anything to do with you. You might think that you've got to do a bunch of good things now to try to make up for all the bad things that you've done. But as I preached at Coach Miller's funeral on Friday, God isn't looking for perfect people who have no flaws or pretend that they have no flaws. He's looking for people who will receive His offer of grace through faith, trusting not in their own strength, but in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for their salvation and hope. We're going to close this morning's sermon anyway, and then we'll stand to sing a song in just a moment. We're going to close with a song that was played the other day at my coach's funeral, and I thought as I was listening to it then and thinking about this sermon, I said, you know what, that fits. Because Samson, I think, represents a lot of us, more than we probably want to admit it, flawed people who rebel against God, 
who don't do what we're supposed to do and then wonder, what does God want to do with me? Can God do anything in my life? And so there's a song that we'll play in just a moment. And during that song, all I'm going to ask is that you would respond to the Lord in whatever way that He wants you to. You may need to get on your knees and repent of your sin this morning. You may say, I'd like to come and just pray here up front, and maybe somebody would pray with me, and certainly we'd love to do that. Or maybe it's just right there as you listen to the words, as you contemplate what God has done for you, as you receive His invitation to come to the Savior, that you say, Lord, You use me, this flawed person. I repent today of my sin, and I give it all to You. Use me, Lord, in spite of my sin, even in the middle of my consequences, Lord. You use this flawed person however You see fit. Guys, let's go ahead and play that.